This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I am excited to be here with you guys this week. Now, I actually had a topic on tap to discuss, but because of some recent current events, I'm going to shelve that for another week, and we're going to dive into talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Because, as I'm sure many of you are aware, there were a lot of very uh, strong escalations in the conflict just over the last couple days. Actually, at the time of this recording, it's been going on for something like 36 to 40 hours, and there have been something like 600 to 650 rockets that have been fired. Uh, into Israel from the Gaza Strip. Now, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has roots that go back a long, long time, and I'm not going to dive into all of the roots of that. Today, we're just going to be focusing on what's happening there right now, but uh, that may be a different episode. If you guys are interested in that, let me know. I'd be happy to dive into more of this conflict in the future, but for now, we're going to focus on kind of the here and now and what's going on in Israel at the, at the current moment. Now, as I said, uh, there have been a lot of rocket fire into Israel lately. Uh, there are, I think, over 600 to 650 rockets fired into Israeli territory in about a 36-hour period. Uh, as of now, I think we're going on about 40 hours at the time of this recording. And Israel has responded. There have been, uh, they assassinated a senior Hamas leader. Uh, Hamas is the kind of the governing body of the Gaza Strip, but they're also known as a, a terrorist group in the area. Now, Israel does have something called the Iron Dome. The Iron Dome is uh, basically a missile defense, or as I say, a mobile defense system that's designed to intercept these type of specific short-range rockets and missiles. Now, it was de designed to provide kind of an anti-missile defense system to counter uh, the Palestinian rocket attacks that were taking place. Uh, and this has been in place about since 2011. And it has a basically an intercept rate somewhere between about 85 and 90%. So that means about 85 to 90% of rockets that are fired will be taken down or taken out by this Iron Dome weapon system, or say anti-weapon system. But obviously 85 to 90% is not 100%. And a lot of rockets do kind of get through this, this shield. And so a lot of different places in Israel have been hit. And we're talking some pretty serious, devastating targets. They're hitting schools. Uh, they have fired at hospitals, uh, special needs schools as well, homes and ambulance got hit. I saw a video of a playground that had been hit. Thankfully, no children were on it at the time. And so this is a, a really difficult situation. And so Israel has started to fire back. And so Israel has fired several missiles. I think they're targeting something like 250 places in like, Hamas and Islamic uh, Jihad targets in Gaza. And they did this in kind of retaliation for the rockets that have been fired at them. And so they've struck, uh, actually, I have the quote here, um, 260 Hamas and Islamic Jihad targets. Now, this is obviously one of the biggest escalations that we've seen in the conflict in quite some time, as most of southern Israel has basically closed down as people are hiding in bomb shelters. 
that's actually partly why you know the numbers 650 fired missiles and only three or four dead at the moment uh, at the time of this recording. But there are you know hundreds of others that have been injured. So while there's only been a few fatalities, hundreds have been injured. Quite a few are being treated at local hospitals in the area, but schools, businesses. All of these things have been shut down as hundreds of thousands of Israelis are currently in shelter right now. And about a million, maybe a little over a million Israelis are within firing range of these Palestinian rockets. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty big deal. And if you look online, I wouldn't recommend going too far down this rabbit hole, but you can see some of the damage that's been done. Uh, there's pretty striking images of an ambulance that was hit and was destroyed. Uh, there was uh, some target of um, a guided missile that was deliberately targeting a civilian ended up killing a 60-year-old Israeli man. You can see his car is, is destroyed. And in probably one of the saddest stories of this, a, a Palestinian mother and child were both killed in a, a faulty Pal Palestinian rocket. They tried to fire a rocket into Israel. The rocket fell short and ended up killing this, this mother and her child, who's essentially a baby. Now, of note, uh, this is this particular story is one that's been twisted by Hamas and some of its supporters that are they're trying to claim it was killed in Israeli airstrike, but it's basically been confirmed that this was a Palestinian rocket that that malfunctioned and, and ended up killing them it, itself. Be very careful as you, as you see some of these stories come out because there have been quite a few uh, Western reporters that have fallen for quite a few of these stories and and tried to blame the Israeli airstrike for this particular death, this Palestinian baby. I've seen it quite a few times on Twitter myself, um, but this was actually false. The baby was killed by a Palestinian rocket that, that fell short. So let's uh, take a step back and talk a little bit about what's been going on here. So going back a few days, there were a couple cases of protests. So there, there were some protests along kind of the Gaza fence. And if you don't know, there's a, there's a fence that separates uh, Gaza from the rest of Israel. Gaza is technically an Israeli territory. Uh, Israel claims that it was a territory that was taken during the Seven Days War years ago from, from Egypt. This is also the same war where Israel took the Sinai Peninsula, they took the Golan Heights, they took the West Bank. Uh, they did end up giving back the Sinai Peninsula, but they have kind of held on to these other three areas. Uh, the Golan Heights in particular has been in the news recently as the United States uh, announced that we were going to recognize that territory, which is a pretty big deal uh, as being part of Israel. But Gaza is, is one of these other territories. Now, when we talk the Palestinians, we're talking Gaza and the West Bank. And these are two distinct areas uh, in, in Israel, and they are basically fenced off or walled off from the rest of Israel uh, for a variety of reasons, and I can touch on that in a different episode. But one territory, the West Bank, is controlled by what's called the Palestinian Authority. That's the main governing, governing body there. The other, the Gaza Strip, is controlled by Hamas. Now, as I mentioned briefly earlier, Hamas is considered a terrorist group. They use a lot of terror tactics. They have been known to use human shields, uh, children as shields, and so they are, are pretty, they have some pretty horrific uh, tactics that they engage in. They also tend to rile up the people in Gaza, and so you get a lot of protests in this, in this region against Israel. And so there were a couple protests kind of along this fence where uh, there were several Gaza citizens and then a couple Hamas militants firing weapons into Israel at Israeli troops. Uh, there were a couple like kind of very crude homemade or handmade bombs that were kind of tossed in Molotov cocktail style. And so these protests, you'll hear people in the news, I've, I've seen this several places as well, they were referencing this as a peaceful protest. It was not a peaceful protest. There were shots fired, these kind of homemade bombs launched. And so what happened is 
a couple Israeli soldiers got wounded along along the border here. And so these Israeli troops fired back and ended up injuring two Palestinians who then later died succumbing to their wounds. And this became one of the, the first escalations of the conflict between Israel and kind of the Gaza militants in about a month. Now, obviously, a month doesn't seem like a long time, uh, particularly in most parts of the West where we don't see violence like this on any grand scale, but a month is, is a fairly long time for escalations. There's constant protests here between these kind of Gaza Hamas-led militants and Israeli troops. But it had been about a month since we had last seen this. And in the kind of the run-up to that election and the, the time period leading up to the election in Israel, Egypt had been involved in trying to mediate or, or kind of facilitate an agreement of sorts, a ceasefire uh, between Israel and, and Hamas. And this actually was largely successful. And so there was a, a ceasefire of sorts leading up to the election, which is why this recent escalation is such a big deal. Now, part of the reason these protests spiraled out of control is that this agreement included certain contingencies that were designed to, to loosen some of the restrictions that were being imposed on kind of Gazan citizens. And Hamas has basically come out and said that Israel is not moving fast enough on these uh, restrictions to loosen this. And so they started some of these protests and riots. As I said, they spiraled out of control, shots were fired, some Molotov cocktail style bombs were launched into Israel, Israel fired back, and a couple of Palestinians died, and a couple of militants uh, as part of this protest died. And so this is what Hamas and the Gazan Strip area claim started this whole thing, and they started launching missiles into, into Israel, and this has been going on now, again, at the time of this recording, about 40 or so hours, I believe. And then as three Israelis were killed in this, and so Israel decided to start firing back. I believe a fourth has now died as well. And so Israel is responding with airstrikes across the Gazan area, uh, and that's according to the Israeli Defense Forces. The IDF announced that. Now, a lot of the targets that the IDF is, is targeting here are, are things like tunnels, uh, Hamas has been known to use tunnels to try to tunnel underneath the fencing to get into Israel to carry out other attacks and things, uh, sites for rocket launchers, other military compounds. There, there was a mosque in, in one area in kind of northern Gaza, a town called Al-Shati, and this is a, a mosque that was being used as kind of like a command center for, for, another, for like another small militant group called the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and so that was hit as well. And then several other kind of like business style buildings, the IDF claims were being used by like military intelligence from Hamas and this terrorist group. So there was like a, a like an office building that was that was targeted during this, and this has pretty much shut down the entire southern Israel. And so any sort of border crossings have been shut down, fishing zones have been shut down, uh, schools, businesses, people are in hiding basically. And so this rocket barrage basically started on uh, Saturday and continued at least into Sunday. I'm, I'm recording this on Sunday, so it may have continued even further uh, since the time of recording. But this is a really, really serious escalation, and it's one that will probably have some pretty grave consequences going forward as well. Now, on this podcast, I generally try to keep things pretty nonpartisan. I try to get my my opinions out of this uh, for the most part, just report the facts. But this is actually a really difficult one for me to to be unbiased on because this is something that I don't think actually is partisan. We see a lot of 
violence here that should be condemned across the board, and yet we don't always see that being the case. Um, in particular, this we've seen kind of a rise in anti-Semitism, which is a, a form of, of bigotry that's basically about uh, hating the Jewish people. And this is something that's been on the rise recently in the world. There's been a, a handful of anti-Semitic attacks even here in the United States. And this is something that we, we see kind of across the spectrum, both the kind of far left-wing activists and a lot of the far right activists both engage in this anti-semitic behavior and rhetoric and this is something that they have actually kind of united on the kind of far left and far right in criticizing they claim criticizing the jewish people but basically are saying a lot of very bigoted things and so this is something that we should see both sides the right and the left come together on and and really condemn and I'll be honest, I do think that this anti-Semitic bigotry has infiltrated the left on a more mainstream level than it has the right, but this is something that both the left and the right should be able to come together on and agree is is unacceptable. And so we see a lot of this going on. Uh, for instance, um, hundreds, as I said, 650 rockets were fired into civilian areas by Hamas and Gaza. Again, they're targeting, they're specifically targeting average citizens. There are guided missiles hitting individual citizen cars. There have been elementary schools hit. There have been hospitals hit. As I said, there's an ambulance that was hit, a playground. So these rockets are going indiscriminately, or sometimes very specifically, into civilian areas to attack innocents. Uh, and so this is something that needs to be condemned across the board. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're left-wing. I don't care if you're right-wing. Attacking innocent citizens like this, especially going after elementary schools. There was a kindergarten in Israel that got hit by a rocket. You know, five-year-olds going into these schools. Uh, technically, the, the target was hit after the children had been evacuated, so nobody was hurt, thankfully. But attacking elementary schools, kindergartens, playgrounds, like this is, is way beyond the pale. And this is something that needs to be condemned across the board. And what we're seeing, unfortunately, is that because even though these terrorists care so little about their own citizens, you know, that some of the rockets are even hitting their own people. As I said, this mother and child were hit by Hamas rockets. We're seeing a, a moral equivalence being drawn in, in the media sometimes and by certain individuals, even, uh, unfortunately, some, some congressmen here in the United States, congresswomen, who are drawing this moral equivalence between indiscriminately throwing rockets into civilian areas and destroying, as I said, hospitals, elementary schools, ambulances, all these things, and Israel retaliating by specifically targeting individual terrorists. And there actually are some images you can see of, of how tactically driven the Israeli retaliations are, individually targeting you know, a car that was transporting a Hamas leader or a building with very, very minimal casualties, which is in my opinion, incredible restraint being shown. This is, I mean, when you have any other country, let me start with this, any other country that was having hundreds of rockets fired into their territory would probably respond with way more force than Israel is responding right now. And I would argue they're showing incredible restraint here. And this is, this is something that shouldn't be controversial. I don't understand why it is at times. And as I said, this is something that's, I am a little bit more passionate about, maybe because I studied terrorism or I don't know, I just have a soft spot for kids, like most people should, but it should not be difficult to condemn terrorists, terrorist supporters, the sponsorship of, of other states. Uh, Hamas gets a lot of their money from the country of Iran. It should not be difficult to condemn them for intentionally firing hundreds of missiles at civilians, and yet we somehow see it being difficult. 
let me be let me be very clear on this. There was no excuse for targeting innocent civilians with rockets like this, especially children. Like that's there's no no excuse for this. And and yet we're seeing this moral equivalence being drawn when Israel responds by targeting tunnels and rocket launcher sites and military headquarters and things like this. And what's happening too, Hamas, as I said, is known for using people as, as human shields. Is a lot of times what Hamas will do is is they will station their headquarters inside elementary schools in Palestine so that Israel can't fire back. And if somebody does fire back, the Palestinians get injured. And this is something else that I think a lot of people don't really understand is that Hamas is a terrorist entity and they're engaging in something called provocation behavior. This is a, a specific strategy of terrorism that's designed to try to get your opponent to overreact. And this is what we probably believe 9-11 was. 9-11, as terrible as it was, and obviously it was it was horrific, it sparked wars in two other countries, multiple countries' leaderships being taken out, you know, thousands of people dying. Like the response to it was was very, very strong and actually probably sparked more terrorism in the Middle East as more terrorist groups arose out of our response, uh, which could be a whole other episode in and of itself. But that's that's the style of provocation. And Hamas is famous for this. Hamas engages in provocation attacks all the time. And what they're trying to do is get Israel to fire back on them while they're using humans as shields, while they're using children as shields, because then they can they can try to blame Israel for these for these attacks. Like and again, I don't care what your position is on Israel being a country or or even the actions of Israel, you know, as a government, uh, even some of the, the the settlements. If you ever look into some of the, the policies around settlements, I don't really care what your position is on any of this. Hamas is engaging in behavior here that is is so far beyond the pale that none of that should matter. We should be able to condemn this behavior without any sort of equivalence being drawn, without any sort of equivocation, and yet we don't see that happening. And this is something, as as you can probably tell, I'm very passionate about because I do not like seeing innocence targeted like this and in particular it makes me angry and this is one of the few times i'll actually admit to being angry i'm actually pretty uh, laid back but i am angry to see individuals even here in this country in the united states make excuses for hamas on this uh, i'm not going to name any names on right now on this podcast but there was a a congress person in the united states congress who tweeted out basically an excuse for for Hamas and this is completely unacceptable because Hamas is a terrorist organization and there is zero equivalence between what they do and what the Israeli defense forces do in response now we can take a step back here I'm going to calm down for a second and and talk about the distinction here between Hamas and the Palestinians because a lot of times this is a problem that you do see in that people tend to draw an equivalence kind of on the other side of the spectrum and just say you know all Palestinians are this way, and that's not that's not the case. Most Palestinians are probably wonderful people. I've I've met a few of them. I've met a few. I was actually in the West Bank at one point, and and you could see the average Palestinian is not engaged in this. That said, Hamas was elected, and you're going to have a really hard time getting much sympathy uh, from from people. And actually, I'll even be honest, it's hard for me to show a ton of sympathy for. For people who willingly elect a terrorist organization like Hamas that's engaging in these behaviors. And then further, when these attacks take place, there's actually a video that just, just came out on Saturday. You could see a bunch of Palestinian citizens cheering and, and chanting Allahu Akbar, which means uh, God is great in Arabic, as rockets are flying overhead targeting Israeli uh, citizens and Israeli civilians. And you can see the people cheering these things on. Like You're not going to get much sympathy from me on this. 
I, I firmly believe that there is a huge distinction between Hamas and their supporters and, say, the average Palestinian, but you're going to have a hard time making that distinction when these type of behaviors are still going on. Now, that said, I'm, I'm going to take a, another couple steps back here and, and run a little bit of interference on what I just said. Part of the reason Hamas was elected is because the previous group, the Palestinian Authority, that was the ruling body in Gaza until not that long ago, actually, they were widely known as being very inefficient. In other words, they weren't getting anything done and for being very corrupt. And so when Hamas came along, they pitched themselves to the people as, you know, I mean, they didn't even really equivocate and say, hey, we're not extremists. I mean, they kind of admitted this is who we are, but they pitched themselves as the the efficient and pure or uncorrupt alternative. And so people voted for them, not because necessarily Hamas is great and they, they love what they do, but because, you know, if those were the two options that they had, they were going to go for the party that was that was at least claiming to be efficient and, and not, not at all corrupt. And so Hamas has done a lot of like civilian services to try to get the people on their side and show that, hey, they're they're effective. So they I mean, Hamas even runs things like child soccer leagues, but also ambulance services and hospitals and schools. And so they actually put a lot of time into trying to get the people on their side, which explains some of this behavior. Now that said, I do not think you can make any excuse for what Hamas is doing. Just because they were a quote unquote better alternative at the time does not necessarily excuse supporting a group like this. And so this is where I, I think you're going to have a really hard time getting much sympathy for a people who who vote in a terrorist group. Uh, but again, I want to be very, very clear. This is not some sort of condemnation of Palestinians. It's the condemnation of Hamas and Hamas supporters specifically, because a lot of people in Palestine really just want to go about their daily lives. I think that's something that we can make an argument for about most people in the world. They just want to go about their daily lives and not be interfered with and not be drawn into these major conflicts. And yet, in this case, there's a lot of innocent pa Palestinians who unfortunately are being made victims here. And I used the example earlier on of the young mother and her child who were killed in this. And this, I mean, that's a horrific, horrific tragedy. And that is something that should be mourned around the world. I mean, anytime you see children killed, this, I mean, it's, it's utter, utter tragedy. And so I want to make sure we have a very clear distinction here between the average Palestinians who are hardworking, peaceful individuals and what you would consider like the Hamas circle. Uh, and again, Hamas operates out of Gaza specifically, not the West Bank. The West Bank kind of its whole other situation with uh, actually the Palestinian Authority is still in power there. Now we're going to take a quick 60 second commercial break and I'll be back on the other side to talk a little bit more about this ongoing situation in Israel and Palestine. So thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you guys again in about a minute. Hey guys, welcome back. Thanks so much for sticking with me through that short commercial break. Let's go ahead and dive right back into the current event of what's taking place in Israel and Palestine over just this past few days. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about the specific attacks that are going on right now. Um, just a handful of the statistics that we see. As I mentioned, there are something like 650 rockets that have been fired at Israel uh, just in the last 48 hours, actually probably less than that, more like 36 to 40 hours uh, at the time of this recording. And we have seen quite a few deaths. Uh, now in Israel, I believe at the time, it looks like there are four reported deaths and about 12 Palestinians who were killed as well in some of the responses. 
Now, on top of that, there are hundreds of people who have been injured and quite a few in the hospital, uh, others that are suffering in other sorts of trauma as well. And so there are a lot of people who have been affected by this. Now, the Iron Dome system has intercepted a lot of these rockets. About 150 rockets were intercepted. Uh, about 70% of the rockets actually ended up just hitting open fields or malfunctioned or in a couple cases just fell into the Gaza Strip itself. They never actually made it out of the Gaza Strip. But 150 of the ones that did kind of make it out and work were shot down or intercepted by the Iron Dome system. Now, you'll probably curious, 650 rockets, 70% of those didn't hit any targets at all. That has a lot to do with the technology that's being used to Moss, uh, despite having a lot of money and funding coming from Iran, and in part because of the, the way it's set up in Israel with the fencing and the border, they have a hard time getting the technology in to make these rockets more, more effective and more accurate. And so this is not uncommon to see massive amounts of them completely miss what they're shooting for, which is why they're overcompensating by, by sending so many. Uh, but as I said, even though 70% hit open fields or malfunctioned or whatever, another 150 rockets were intercepted, a lot of rockets did end up hitting their targets. Uh, one rocket hit a, a factory in, in the southern Israeli city, a city called Ashkelon. An Israeli car took a hit uh, from an anti-tank missile. Uh, one of the Israelis that was killed was a 58-year-old father. Uh, he had actually stepped outside the bomb shelter just briefly to see what was going on. I think he was taking a smoke break or something and couldn't get back inside when the alarms went off, couldn't get back in time. Uh, rockets landed nearby, and he, and he was killed. Uh, others have been very critically wounded. I imagine we'll see the death count kind of rise over the next couple of days, uh, as not all of those will probably survive, unfortunately. Now, it's really hard to get much information on kind of the Palestinian side in terms of injuries and deaths because a lot of this comes from Hamas and they're not exactly well known for, for their honesty when it comes to these sorts of things. I already talked about this, but there was a, a strike that killed a pregnant woman and uh, her baby. I, I, don't, I don't think I mentioned earlier that she was pregnant, but killed her and her baby and obviously being pregnant killed the baby inside her womb as well. And the Palestinian Health Ministry, which, again, not well known for being accurate, and actually they're pretty infamous for making things up off whatever they think sounds good. So they announced that Israeli strikes had killed these Palestinians, and yet a, a more detailed review uncovered that it was a Palestinian rocket that had misfired and killed them instead. And the Palestinians and Hamas in particular were trying to spin this story, try to sell it, even though it was completely untrue. And what's happened is there have been a lot of people across the West that really kind of bought into this. And it's, it's, it's crazy to think that, you know, people in the West are not showing you the real truth on this. But unfortunately, they, they bought a lot of what this Israeli health ministry, or the, sorry, the Palestinian health ministry is saying. Now, I mentioned earlier, too, that Iran is considered a state sponsor of terrorism. They give a lot of money to Hamas uh, through a group called the Islamic Jihad. They have kind of a proxy organization in the Gaza area. And it's thought that Iran is actually funding a lot of this current escalation in Gaza. Uh, and you might ask, well, why? Why now? What are they doing? And the reasoning here probably actually has less to do with Israel and Palestine and more to do with Syria. Uh, is Israel and Iran have feuded over Syria. Actually, they feuded over a lot of things for many years. But in particular, um, they're on opposite sides of the, the Syrian civil conflict that's going on there, this war that's been going on for eight, nine years now. And what's happening is that Iran, the idea from Iran is that 
if they can get Israel to embark on some sort of larger major operation in Gaza, that will turn Israel's attention away from Syria. They're going to be so busy focusing on Gaza, they're not going to have the energy or the resolve or really the interest in dealing with the the conflict in Syria and will allow Iran to kind of do whatever they want, completely unhindered in, in Syria. And so this is something that has a little bit broader implications because Iran, as we know, is, is a country that the U.S. has tried to enter into negotiations with many times. You had the famous Iran nuclear deal that happened under the Obama administration. Another, again, another episode, another time. But this has, has kind of broader implications for the Middle East in general. The Syrian conflict has drawn in most of the countries in the region, including some some uh, major superpowers in other parts of the world, in Russia, the United States, etc. And so by trying to shift Israel's attention and get them to go into this uh, more major operation in Gaza, that could shift some of the balance of power in, in Syria as well. Now, this idea of trying to induce a major operation by Israel, again, plays into this, this terrorist strategy of provocation. There's uh, several different terrorist strategies that have been identified in terrorism studies literature. Provocation is one of the most famous. And it's, again, I'll, I mentioned this before the break, but it's this idea of you fire little strikes here and there to, just to try to get them to retaliate. In other words, you're trying to induce a retaliation. And usually that retaliation is, is over, is a escalation in tactics as well. And then that allows you to, to make more claims and to, to demonize your opponent and it justifies your actions, it legitimizes your cause. And so we see these types of attacks by terrorist groups a lot. And this is actually a really important thing to note because what it tells you is that Iran, which is funding it, and Hamas, which is again, the, the elected government, but also a terrorist group, they don't care if Palestinians are hurt. And in fact, they want their people to be hurt because the instant their people get hurt, it legitimizes their cause and they can make new claims and get more money and try to get the world on their side by demonizing their, the IDF and other organizations that are fighting against them because it legitimizes or justifies what they're doing. And so make no mistake, Hamas does not care about the Palestinian people. And in fact, they want the Palestinian people hurt. They want them killed. At least not all of them, obviously, because they need some of them for recruiting purposes and things. But they want their own people to be hurt by this because that legitimizes their cause. If their own people are never hurt, they're going to have a really hard time legitimizing their cause to any sort of broader population, other extremist groups. And so Iran and Hamas want Palestinians hurt. They want them dead. And do not make any mistake on this. They do not care about these people. And this is something I don't think a lot of people really have thought through uh, in, this, in this conflict. But I think it's a really important point. Now, essentially what we're seeing is a terrorist group that's hiding behind innocent civilians, sending hundreds of rockets at other civilians, including children. And what we're seeing is that there's a lot of innocents who are suffering on both sides. And if you are the praying type, please, you know, we need to be praying for both Israel and for Palestine here. The people on both sides are suffering. There's a lot of innocent people, regardless of what you think about Israel or the IDF or Israel's right to exist or any of these other things. And again, there are a lot of different areas here that we can hit on. I could probably do a dozen different episodes on, on this. But regardless of what you think about any of those other things, we know for a fact Hamas is a terrorist group, engages in terror tactics, hides behind civilians, uses human shields, and is attacking children and other innocent civilians. No nation on earth would endure that type of behavior without some 
response. And in fact, as I mentioned before the break, I think Israel is showing remarkable restraint. And as you read news stories about this, keep that in the back of your head of what's actually happening here and what any other country on the face of this earth would do under a similar situation. I mean, what what would you do if if innocents around you were being killed by by rockets from a group that's hiding behind children, that's hiding behind women, pregnant women, it's hiding behind its innocent civilians that are suffering? What would you do? What, what should we do? I mean, I think that these are questions that frequently just get overlooked. And unfortunately, this has become an issue that is very politicized, and I really don't think it should be. This is something that the right and the left should come together on to fight this, because this is a form of bigotry. This is a form of hate, and violence against innocents is always wrong, no matter who it is. It is it is wrong if an IDF soldier fires on an innocent Palestinian and kills them. That is 100% wrong. It is just as wrong when Hamas fires rockets into Israel and kills you know, innocents and children there as well. And so this is a situation that really needs a lot of, of prayer thoughts on, on both sides. And by both sides, I mean Israelis and Palestinians. And so this is a situation that, at least at the time of this recording, is not really showing any signs of slowing down. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, is the, who's the prime minister of Israel, he actually recently won a new election there. He said that Israel will continue its attacks against terrorist elements in the Gaza Strip. He gave the order to reinforce uh, IDF troops around Gaza with more tanks, more artillery, more infantry. And he basically says that Hamas is going to pay a very heavy price for these actions. Now, so far, we have not seen any real reports of any at least formal efforts to reestablish the ceasefire. As I mentioned before the break, Egypt had kind of brokered a bit of a ceasefire between the two sides leading up to the election. And I'm sure there are informal efforts kind of going on here as well. You know, the Egyptian president, al-Sisi, uh, his intelligence bureau played a very important role over the past several years in trying to broker peace. And I'm quite certain that the Egyptians are involved on this as well, at least on an informal level. They have been actively working to kind of persuade Hamas specifically, but also other terrorist groups in the Gaza Strip in the area to try to de-escalate a lot of these tensions here. And, to, and especially, I didn't really talk about this, but the West Bank and Gaza Strip have different governments. Uh, Hamas runs the Gaza Strip, the PA run the West Bank, and what happened is about 13 years ago, there was a disagreement over who should should take charge, and so the two kind of split. And so there has been some talk with, with Egypt trying to reunify the governments there so that Gaza and the West Bank are operated by the same, more moderate uh, Palestinian authority. And over the last several years, we have seen the Egyptians be very persistent in trying to pursue some of these more peaceful options. And so I, I think that is something that's almost certainly going on behind the scenes. Uh, President al-Sisi is, has seemed, at least very, at least to me, very serious in trying to maintain a certain level of peace and security and maintain you know ties to Israel on kind of an intelligence and uh, security front and really trying to broker this, this peace between Israel and the Palestinians. So I, again, there's no formal efforts that I have seen, at least as of right now, but I'm sure that there have been some informal efforts underway that are taking place, probably led by the Egyptians, but others in the in the area as well. And it would not surprise me if the United States is, either already is or will get involved at some point, as Israel is, is one of our biggest allies in the world, and it's really our biggest ally in the Middle East. Now, other things that have been kind of going on on this front, it, there's a couple interesting tidbits here uh, between kind of the Arab world and Israel. The director of the Muslim World League, a man by the name of Dr. Muhammad Al-Issa, announced a few months ago, I believe it was 
January or February, that he was going to go visit Auschwitz in southern Poland. And he, he is probably one of the most influential Muslim leaders in the world. Uh, he is, he's Saudi, uh, so he runs an organization. The MWL is, is based out of Saudi Arabia. I believe it's in Riyadh. And he has agreed to go visit Auschwitz, which you should recognize that name. Auschwitz is one of the concentration camps that was used by the Germans to eradicate the Jews or attempt to eradicate the Jews. It was one of the worst concentration camps during the Holocaust and World War II. And so his decision to visit Auschwitz, uh, as, as well as some other methods he has used to try to help combat some like Holocaust deniers and, and things like this across the Muslim world, is a really historic thing that's taking place. And it's probably angered other Arab countries. But Al-Isa is, I believe, the highest ranking Muslim leader ever to visit one of these death camps for the Jews that were run by the Nazis. Uh, we've also seen other kind of efforts on the, the kind of Arab-Israeli conflict move forward. Uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia actually uh, has decided, I believe they announced this again back in January or February, that they're going to welcome a delegation of Jewish leaders to come visit Saudi Arabia. Uh, historically, this is unheard of. Jews have, are not legally allowed to set foot in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Now, this has been changing bit by bit. Uh, Saudi Arabia has has made some exceptions over the years for like, business leaders and executives. Uh, certain reporters, I think, have made it in. But this delegation of Jewish leaders to come visit would be one of the first kind of larger scale groups to come visit uh, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Now, we've talked about Saudi Arabia on here, and there's a lot of politics and culture things that are very complicated and very controversial with Saudi Arabia. I've, but I've spoken out against uh, their actions toward Jamal Khashoggi, that reporter who was, who was killed a while back. And the crown prince of Saudi Arabia and a lot of his policies, again, are some of the most controversial in the world. I don't think there's anybody who would really dispute that they are controversial. Um, there's a lot of human rights concerns within Saudi Arabia, and none of these issues are really going away anytime soon. But what we've seen between Saudi Arabia, uh, Jordan, and others as well, Al-Isa and some of these organizations, there have been some very striking and positive shifts towards Israel in the Arab world recently, uh, towards the Jewish community. And, and these are things that I think need to be welcomed. Now, we can still, I think, have some concerns about you know, human rights issues. Again, I'll use Saudi Arabia as an example. We can be concerned about that, you know, some of these human rights abuses that have taken place there over the years, while still championing, championing this, this very positive move toward building this relationship with Israel. And this is something that I think has been a long time coming. And it's something that I think we are we're seeing among a lot of Arab states, actually. I mentioned Saudi Arabia and Jordan, but there are a couple other kind of Arab Gulf states that have moved in this direction as well. And I think this is a beacon of good news in kind of a, a sea of bad news that's been taking place over the last weekend. And with a lot of death, again, innocent death, essentially here, Hamas, these groups, they really seem more interested in waging war on Israel than, any, than building any sort of hope for, the, for a good Palestinian future. And so these types of things seem to be escalating, but we are seeing certain positive signs in other areas as well. And so I don't, I don't want to end this show just, just on all the bad, but do mention a little bit of the, of the good as well. But I do want to encourage you to be very judicious and uh, thoughtful as you read a lot of the news stories about this because there have been a lot of uh, false reporting coming out of this and unfortunately we've seen a rise in, in anti-semitism even among 
uh, some very high-profile people. The New York Times got blasted for this uh, not that long ago when they ran a, a blatantly anti-Semitic cartoon that would have been welcomed by the Nazis and others you know, during that time period. And somehow it got, got published by the New York Times, which is unbelievable. And so we've seen anti-Semitism infiltrate a lot of areas of society, but that's just another form of bigotry. And, and anyone who provides cover for anti-Semitism should be considered complicit in it. And this is something I think that we need to be very, very careful on as we read some of these stories to really understand what's going on here, because we we need to find a way. Again, I don't have pretend to have the answers for this. But we need to find a way to move towards peace and hope for Israeli future as well as Palestinian futures. The Palestinian people suffer a lot. And this is a, a very victimized population uh, by their own governments, their own their own leadership. Hamas uh, victimizes them repeatedly on a daily basis, and this is a people group that, that could have a lot to offer. You know, we could, if, if Hamas was interested in like building an economy there, you know, this is a, a people group that, that could really benefit greatly. And yet, uh, we, we see them not interested in that. They're not interested in building an economy. And unfortunately, there are a lot of journalists around the world and activists who aren't really interested in in telling the truth either. And so we need to be very, very careful with this because this is a complicated situation. I, I don't mean to suggest that Israel is innocent in all of this. There have been a lot of actions that have come out of the IDF and Israel as a whole over decades that need to be condemned as well. And that's why I said at the beginning of this, this is an episode on what's going on right now, not on the history of the conflict there. There's a lot of things that could... This could be a year's worth of content going into the uh, Israel-Palestine conflict that goes back all the way, at least to World War II, but also you know, the centuries before that, going back to some of the conflict that Israel had with other you know, nations you know, millennia ago. And so just be really careful as you read some of the news to know where it's coming from. The, the Palestinian health ministry, as I mentioned, is not exactly known for being honest. They tend to make up a lot of information. Hamas, very similarly, they very readily jump to fabricating events or twisting them or spinning them. And we have seen, unfortunately, news organizations buy into this and plenty of individuals as well. As I mentioned on pre-commercial break, there was a, an American congressperson who, who I think was making excuses for Hamas actions and, and targeting innocent civilians, which I think is utterly abhorrent uh, to even think about. But going forward, I think we need to be very, very cautious with with understanding what's going on, very, very careful with our, our tactics because this is a complicated situation. Again, it goes back decades, minimum, really centuries to millennia. And it's a, a situation that really needs a lot of care, a lot of prayer for people on both sides. There's a lot of innocence here, both Israeli and Palestinian, that are being victimized. And this is a situation that is unlikely to be resolved anytime soon, but it's one that we do see maybe hints here and there of positive news, as I said, particularly out of Saudi Arabia, but maybe other places as well. And so I, I just encourage you to to be watchful, to be alert, to be judicious, and to be prayerful for this situation. I would like at some point to do a whole episode on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I think there's a lot of nuance here that just gets missed in a single episode like this. Um, but with that, I think we're going to go ahead and close things out, and we'll get to Israel-Palestine, I'm sure, in a future episode. Uh, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and close things down. So thank you so much for tuning into Nutshell Politics this week. If you're interested in getting in touch with me, you can find me on social media. I have a Twitter handle. It's Justin R underscore Kinney. Find me, follow me there. 
be happy to continue this conversation with you or any others. Know what you think. If you agree with me, disagree, be happy to talk with, talk with you about that. If you'd like to find me on Facebook, I have a, an author page called J. Robert Kinney. That's the name I write fiction novels under. I have two books that are on Amazon right now. They're mystery novels. You can find uh, the first one's called Precipice. came out about three years ago. And the second one called Splintered State, which came out uh, just uh, maybe six months or so now, about the end of November. And so if you're interested, check those out on Amazon. You can find them both paperback and in Kindle form. Now, if you'd like to support me, support this podcast, or advertise on the podcast, please get in contact with me. I'd be happy to talk with you more about that possibility or sit down with you. I also have a Patreon account if you'd like to check that out as well. Uh, but with that, we're going to go ahead and close things out. So this is Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I am out in three, two, one. <laughs>